Okay, welcome to the uh, SoxProspects.com final podcast of 2012. Um, we're here at the end of December. We apologize for being away for about four months, but uh, what can I say? Sometimes uh, things happen. Uh, we've been really busy both at the site and otherwise, but um, we're back for our year-end wrap-up. Um, the fates seem to be conspiring against us, but we still have three of us here on the podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield. And I'm joined right now by uh, Chris Mellon, our director of scouting. Hello, Chris. What's up? We've already had our technical difficulties. Yeah, and uh, Matt Hegel, our senior editor, is on as well. Hello, Matt. How's it going? I was uh, a little disappointed that uh, Mike couldn't be on. It was going to be my first podcast with Mike, so uh, you know that's these right. technical difficulties have been uh, been pretty tough. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. We just 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 to fill everyone in at home, we were we we're trying to do this yesterday at our annual meeting. Um, we're going to have actually five of us on. We're going to be there's going to be the three of us as well as Mike Andrews, the head honcho on the site, who was making his glorious return to the podcast. But now that didn't work yesterday, and today he's having internet issues because of the snow apparently. And uh, John Mioli, who was in town last night for the po- for the meeting and the podcast, was going to come in by phone today, but unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, with him on, it sounds like he's, to use Melon's phrase, sitting on the wing of an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he, gonna... he, he made a good attempt to try to do it from the he car, did. but <laughs> he did. It didn't it work was, out. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, hey, he tried. The effort was there, but uh, yeah, it, it just was, wasn't going to work. Bad. Yeah, he bad. also he also bought a headset on the way up to try and make this work, which I kind of feel bad about, but that may have been part of the problem. I think that headset wasn't the best headset ever, but... At any rate, um, so first off, we have some site news to uh, to get out of the way. Um, new news uh, coming out now, which uh, will be on the website shortly, uh, in theory, after this podcast goes up, but maybe before. Um, we are pleased to welcome Matt Eagle and John Mioli on as, uh, what, what are we calling you guys? Part owners? Or, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know how Mike put it yesterday, but um, <laughs> we need Mike to make the official announcement. We do, we do. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm just a jamoke who doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but yeah, we did. Mike and uh, sorry, yeah, Matt and and uh, John have uh, been with the site since 2010, I think. Right? Is, is March, of 20, March, March of 2010. March of 2010. Yeah. Uh, they put in some great work, and we're we're pleased to have them on board now as part owners of the site. Um, I think they're great additions. I don't think they were. There were really additions that the three of us who were all right, Mike, uh, Chris, and I really had to think too hard about. It's a pretty obvious move at this point. So, uh, welcome. I guess John can't really talk, but Matt, uh, welcome to the uh, ownership group. Yeah, thanks a lot. I, I mean, I'm obviously really excited. I, I've uh, been a huge fan of the site many years before I even joined the staff, and uh, you know, it's it's just a great honor to be able to contribute from that uh, perspective now. Mm-hmm. And for those who you know want to know what they specifically did, it John's kind of been our John's our senior columnist. He's been uh, on the Greenville and Salem beat for the past year. He's written a bunch of features, and Matt has both written and now has settled into his role as senior editor. Um, he's Chris's primary editor, um, which I can only imagine how uh, arduous a task that must be. His <laughs> uh, slop into publishable. F- no, I'm just kidding. Um, but. Um, yeah, both, but both guys have been doing great work for us for a while now. We're thrilled to have them on board. Um, the other bit of news, which hasn't we haven't mentioned on the podcast because we haven't had one since 
late August. Um, but that would be Chris Mellon um, getting brought on to the baseball prospectus team. Um, with the departure of Kevin Goldstein, they've uh, kind of changed the way they do prospect things over there at BP, and Chris was one of the first guys they brought on to help fill in the void for Kevin, which um, he's been doing great work over there. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing over at uh, BP? Well, just for the offseason in the short term, we're concentrating on the top 10 lists per organization, as well as the top 101 prospects in baseball that'll um, give you in the 2013 MVP annual publication that they put out, and then it'll be up on the website along with the um, organizational rankings as well. And in 2013, the coverage is going to go toward similar to how we do things Sox prospects, but covering across all Major League Baseball. We're going to have um, people out in the field more, and um, you know, the industry and, and the prospect coverage has really been, you know, transitioning into that, that it, you have to have you have to have people out at the games and, and people who can scout the games. And they brought me on to kind of cover you know, the, the Northeast area, the leagues, the uh, International League, the Eastern League, the New York Penn League, and wherever else I can get to. You know, we're going to talk about trips or whatever I can take. And it's just expanding into all the organizations that I see and now having a platform to put up reports and, and follow other organizations' prospects from, from top to bottom. You know, there will be focus on, you know, the, t- the top prospects within the system. But, again, like we do at Sox Prospect, where we cover from one to the bottom, so to speak, we're going to look to do that and kind of bring that out and find those prospects that are maybe a little bit under the radar that, you know, on the national level don't get the coverage, but we, we feel that, they, you know, they have a chance to, to play in the majors, and, that, and it's just kind of bringing the reader more information and getting more reports out there and, and more people who can see and kind of analyze the game. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, just having read a lot of the stuff so far, it's been great. Um, really good content on there prospect-wise. Uh, I've been very happy with how it goes as a, as a subscriber myself, so... I think the subscribers will be happy. You know, I, I think yeah. it's something. At first, there was, you know, at first it's changed. You know, people were used to how how Kevin Goldstein did things, and um, you know, just wants to keep alive. You know, the the Monday morning ten pack, and and again, some of the things that Kevin was doing, the call up, the blog that he would put up on when top prospects are called up. But we're expanding and, and bringing in some new things, and and increasing the draft coverage over there as well. I think it's going to be the. Um, the number one place to go for draft coverage um, with the, with the uh, partnership with Perfect Game um, is going to be a lot of draft coverage and for people who are really into that. You know, that hasn't been my area of expertise, but I have been getting exposed a little bit to it and the, the email traffic and the different conversations that we have, that there's a whole side of the game there that, that's really intriguing and interesting. And, and we have a couple people who are really um, good at the get out into the field and see amateurs. So I think between the amateur and the professional side, you know, the subscribers and people who maybe are thinking about subscribing for 2013 are definitely going to get more than their money's worth on that end. He's already a salesman too. I like it. Absolutely. Company man. I was also going to mention, uh, in case anyone's worried, uh, I don't think you said that uh, your, you know, your role really isn't supposed, it shouldn't change with uh, Sox prospects. So, uh, you know, you should, for anyone who's a big fan of the site, should keep uh, receiving that same great coverage. It's, it's, it's really only going to enhance it, you know, being able to compare and contrast other organizations' top prospects and, and guys, you know, against the Red Sox and having more base to kind of further really zone in and, and hone the skills there and really get everybody a really good picture. You know, we can have discussions now comparing Xander Bogarts to, you know, Twins prospect uh 
Byron Buxton or, you know, Kevin Gausman of the Orioles versus Matt Barnes. You know, now now we can start maybe bringing in those those areas where before I used to say, well, I haven't really seen that guy or I haven't paid attention, so I can't really compare them. But now we can kind of do that kind of thing and see how the system stacks up across baseball. Excellent, excellent stuff, and good good call on that, Matt. Yeah, we don't want to freak anybody out thinking they're, we're going to lose uh, lose Chris or anything like that. Um, all right, so we should probably hop in, you know, those out of the way, you should probably hop into the podcast. Just a note about what we're going to be doing today. Um, we we kind of saw this as more of a season recap. We're not really going to be looking prospectively, looking forward. We're, it's more kind of retrospectively looking back uh, on the past year in the system. Um, we're going to talk about kind of the big stories of 2012, and uh, we're going to discuss our own personal top tens. Um, we also, hey, we do, we do still have Mioli's top ten, but unfortunately, there's one thing I was hoping he'd explain. Maybe, maybe we can patch him in just for that or something. But um, I want to hear why he had Drake Britton so high personally. But uh, um, yeah, at any rate, we're we're gonna talk about that, and then we'll have a little bit of a lighting round where we look at some questions again, looking back at the past year. Um, we'll be back before spring training with the prospective stuff, um, so don't worry, we'll hit that. But uh, for now, we're just kind of looking back on 2012. So uh, to start, for me, the big story of the year, um, you know, coming into 2012, the the book on the system was that they there were some good guys, good prospects. There was a lot of depth, but there just weren't any blue chippers. There was nobody at the top that really, you know, you could say with relative certainty or, or, you know, project reasonably to have a guy be a, you know, multiple year all-star, for example, with a certain level of certainty, at least. You had Xander Bogarts and Will Middlebrooks at the top were one, two on pretty much everybody's list. Um, but, you know, Bogarts since has broken out in a big way. Um, you know, certainly a top 25 prospect in baseball at this point. And then the Red Sox acquired a few more guys who were all top 100-level talents, and uh, or not acquired, but guys who broke out to be that in Jackie Bradley, Matt Barnes, and the recently acquired Alan Webster. Um, to me, that's the biggest. That's why the biggest story in 2012 was that things at the top seemed to really start getting fleshed out a bit. Um, and I guess we'll start with Chris. Um, you know, did, would you agree with that? Maybe am I overstating things, understating them? What's your take on how things have kind of turned out? at the top of the system in 2012. I agree with your the general overall point. I think you know I think to d- dive a little deeper mainly it's that this that that group of players that you mentioned um mainly Barnes and Bradley in my opinion established themselves within the ranks as a potential, you know, above average major leaguers. Um Bogart certainly had that, you know, had that projection going into the season it was just that he 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 showed more certainty towards reaching that so i think that you know at the top of the system where as before as you mentioned it was thin on blue chip talent because typically with blue chippers you're looking at more of a short projection and and a little bit less uncertainty you know this the system definitely had guys with high ceilings you know players that you looked at and said well they're a little bit they're they're a, f- a long way off from reaching that so you're kind of like I don't want to say wish casting, but you're kind of like really straining your eyes to see that. And what really started to happen is some of those guys started to come into focus, mainly Bogarts, Bradley, and Barnes. And obviously, with West, uh, Webster was highly regarded, you know, coming into you know outside this organization, and then with the trade being acquired, that was more depth in in terms of players that you look at and say with a with enough confidence that 
if things continue to go and progress as they are and as they look like they're going, they're going to be major league regulars and ones that can produce at a, at a productive rate in the big leagues year over year. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess I'll make a point that uh, Mike actually made last night when we started this segment was that was uh, blue chippers sometimes aren't as guaranteed as, as, as people tend to think. Uh, you know, I think he was citing uh, the stats that uh, it's more like 30 to 40 percent chance of them actually panning out as uh, like all star types or mm-hmm. major league regulars. Um, so it's not quite as as guaranteed as you think. But it is definitely uh, a big plus for the system to have, especially Bogarts up top. It was always sort of the past few seasons you had that depth and talent, but it was always people were always saying it's missing that one blue chipper. So it really sh- does make the system ha- have a whole different uh, look to it, and uh, should should give it a lot more respect, I would think, with the uh, rankers this off season. Right, and uh, you know I can just chime in that you know. Barnes, Bradley, and Bogarts obviously are definitely going to be top 50 prospects in baseball, and Webster's going to fall within the top 100. Um, I can just, you know, you, you, can, you guys know where I'm coming from with that one, that there at least will be one list that, that shows those four players within the top 100, and Barnes, Bradley, and Bogarts very highly regarded. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to me too, when you kind of expand it past, you know, a lot of times we look at this world of, the prospects in the system where there's these rules that say, okay, this guy is no longer a prospect. But, you know, to me, with looking realistically at building a baseball club, you have to look beyond what's in the system. Um, You know, to me, when you look at this core coming up, if you consider those guys part of a core that is rising near the top of the system, they're all going to be in double A or triple A. When you add in Ruby De La Rosa, who technically doesn't qualify for, for prospect lists right now because he threw 60 innings two years ago. Um, ooh, hold on. Hold on. I think we may have a special guest coming on. Yep. I see it. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's let's throw him in here before I make that point. Um, let's add him in here. The tension builds. Is he still online? I see his face. I see it, too. It's way too large. <laughs> it is. It is a large-looking face on our Skype chat window here. Very blurry. It's not working. All right. Well, Mike just tried to sign on Skype. We'll tell you if we get him in here. But the point I was going to make is is that. Um, oh, is that him? No, I just hung up on him. Um, the point I was going to make is when you look at this core coming up, you've got De La Rosa, Middlebrooks, um, and then those four: Bogarts, Bradley, Barnes, and Webster. I think that, personally, when you look at the off-season plan up at the Major League Club, they're kind of not building a... I hate to use the term bridge because of the way it got so blown out of proportion the last time Theo Epstein used it a couple years ago. I know, that was pathetic in my opinion. I'm sorry to chime in like that and be so pointed, <laughs> but that was, that, that was absolutely pathetic. But keep going. In, in terms of what? The building of the bridge or the no, fact the that way it's it was blown, blown out, out of proportion? No, the, the way things get blown out of proportion these yeah. days and... Just taking someone's words and building a bridge doesn't mean you're not competing, and it doesn't mean that you're not trying to win. It means that mm-hmm. you know you're you're you're, you're signing like they they sign you sign guys for a couple. Of years. You don't get locked into players because you know that you potentially have some some players coming up to to back that up. But I, I always thought it was blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, good. With that, this that was the disclaimer I was going to make. Then, um, 
do you see this offseason plan where they're signing guys to two-year contracts, three-year contracts? They're just trying to get through, see what comes up out of that group, and then maybe supplement as needed later to build that run where, you know, this run that the the Red Sox that I consider them having recently ended was built around guys that came up through the system. You know, they, in 04, it was guys they acquired and brought in, but then they supplemented it with players who came up. And that was the second World Series where it was all, you know, a core of homegrown guys that they built around with other pieces or traded for guys using their minor league chips, um, in the case of Beckett and Lowell. Um, I see them trying to maybe look towards 2015 to do a similar sort of thing uh, that, you know, they're building now up to where, okay, we need some players to get us through to then, but hopefully we'll have a core to build around. Is that a fair assessment of at least one of the goals of their moves this offseason, would you say? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, obviously the two-year and three-year contracts we've seen, I mean, they've actually, I think they're close to the luxury uh, tax at this point. But that's not really an issue going forward. I mean, for one thing, the, the tax goes up, I think, is it 10 or $11 million next year? I think it's 189 um, so I think they really have all the money they'll need if they need to sign someone to a, if, you know, if they do find someone who fits that perfect mold that they want to sign someone to a big long-term contract next off season, I really don't see that as being a problem because even if it's a lot of money for next season, say, there'll be a lot of money coming off the season after. So I think they are set up really well for, for even 2014. I don't know how, I mean, it really depends on how well all the development goes and, uh, you know, if, if Bogarts and all those guys that you just mentioned are able to filter up, uh, they could potentially have an impact in 2014. But I definitely agree with you that it looks like 2015 is uh, is really the year where uh, the plan is would be, will be fully starting to come together. Well, I mean, I agree with Matt, and I th- I think it also you know shows that um, with the prospects, as Matt said, things coming fruition with them that you know you might pick on the contract to Shane Victorino for instance say why would they sign Victorino to a three-year deal if they have Bradley who could potentially make his major debut in 2013 and be challenging for position in 2014 let's say with the departure of Jacoby Ellsbury and you have to remember with young players it, it, it doesn't always it, it, it just because they're out of the minor leagues doesn't mean that their development's done and that things are over and it takes some time at the major league level for them to come up to speed and there can be speed bumps where you might have to option a, the player back down or he's or a, a player like Bradley in 2014 is an up and down guy because he has options and he can fill in and be called up and, and he plays a triple A and he comes up for a stretch and then goes back down and then comes back up and kind of finishes the season with the team and maybe starts getting his foothold I think that you know sometimes with the young players, people seem to, to tend to think that they come up and then they establish themselves as above average regulars or, or start to show as all stars or, or, or just average players. But it, it does take time, and and you can see with a, a player like Ellsbury, it took him really three seasons. Now he had an injury in there too, but you know injuries happen. It took him two or three seasons to really start to show what he could do at the major league level. You know those first couple of years, I remember of Jacoby Ellsbury's career, people were complaining that he was overrated and that he was all oh, the projections of him potentially being a future star were maybe off base and, and what's wrong? Well, when he was 25, 26 years old or whatever, however old he was when he put his foot out, he had 32 home runs in the big leagues. You know, that's nothing to sneeze at and he, and he, and he showed himself as a potential MVP competitor, all-star player. And, and it just takes time, you know. The truly elite talents, you know, guys like, you know, for instance, like a John Carlos Stanton 
or um, Bryce Harper or, or Mike Trout, those type of talents, those elite talents come up and, and they do perform at a high level right off the bat. You know, Miguel Cabrera, another elite talent who came up real young and just, you know, went off. You know, I think that's when, you know, back in the 90s, Frank Thomas, you know, hit the major leagues at 22 years old and it was a monster for the next 12 straight seasons. Those guys are your elite talents. Your, those guys are your potential Hall of Famers. You know, because a guy's ranked number one in the system or because he's a top 15 prospect in all of baseball, that's not saying that he's going to be a future Hall of Famer or have that type of impact on the game. But with that said, those players can still be very valuable and go on and have 10, 12, 15-year careers that, are, that when you look back at them, they're highly productive and that they're in that star cusp. And I think, I think we're kind of spoiled, too, because both here with the guys they've had come up in terms of your, you know, Pedroyas who came up right away and run, won a Rookie of the Year, even Middlebrooks this past year, um, you know, just came up and succeeded pretty well right away. But, uh, you know, I, I was I was listening to a, a pod, another podcast where they had um, Ben Crockett, the director of the, of the minor league system, director of player development, for the Red Sox on and he, he there was fan questions and he was asked basically why don't the Red Sox have a Mike Trout, Bryce Harper or Manny Machado it's like well because there's only so many of those guys <laughs> you know it just because Xander Bogarts is going to be a top 20 prospect doesn't mean he's going to come up and hit play the way Trout or Harper or much even Machado later in the year did this year right. you know there they're, they're easily could be a learning curve there that's it not the take- norm it may take two, three seasons for him to really yes. start to show that as, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't mm-hmm. think, I think that, you know, and you look at Kevin Nucleus, you know, everybody kind of said that he was jerked around by the organization that one season where he was the up and down guy, but that, that could be Bradley's path into the big leagues in mm-hmm. 2014. That could be Bogarts in 2014. You know, it's, it's not just, I think sometimes, you know, you guys, the top prospects, they're not that's not saying that they're going to be Hall of Famers and they're going to be perennial all-stars. It's just, you know, they're more regarded and they're, and they're more likely to be major leaguers, you know, uh, proven major leaguers year over year. And, and that's the key. Like, as you talked about with Will Middlebrooks, he came up and did well. There's no guarantee that Middlebrooks is not going to struggle this season. And if he struggles, that's not a big deal. That's what, young play- that's what happens with young players. It's not, it's not an indictment on his prior prospect status it's not an indictment on his projection because if you look at his projections it talks about that he's going to be in a you know the projected being an above average regular during his peak seasons which at 24 you know that might not be till 26 in between 26 and 29 you just you know with with players and player development you have to be patient and you have to allow guys to develop and what the red sox are doing now going back to the plan is is they're bringing in proven regulars, proven major leaguers to supplement and to help ease that transition for the spots. And if you can tell, you can tell where they're identifying the spots, you know, in the outfield, potentially with, with a guy like Bradley and Bogarts on the infield. Um, and then, you know, in the pitching staff, signing a guy like Dempster for a season, maybe, you know, quote, bridges it to when Barnes can, or Webster can potentially, or De La Rosa can potentially com- compete for a spot. And that's what they're doing. They're supplementing with guys who have won World Series, guys who have been um, high-level performers at the, major league, at the major league level. All right, well, and another question I wanted to ask about this core is who realistically is in this group coming up? Because, I mean, one of the things that kind of drives me nuts a little bit is that, you know, people talk about the Killer Bees is this name that, you know, Bogarts, Bradley, Barnes have, have earned 
in, in playing together. But, um, you know, for example, Bryce Brent, good prospect, nothing wrong with what he is, but to me, just not really on that same level where he's a guy you can maybe not plan for, but when I look at the team as constructed, there is a very clear place where Jackie Bradley slots in at center field. Ellsbury is a free agent after this year. He's probably not going to be re-signed. Um, I look at the rotation where the only players signed past 2014 are Buckholtz and Dubron. Um, after 2014, both uh, Lester, Lackey, and Dempster are gone. And to me, that's a clear, you know, let's see what we have in Webster, De La Rosa, and Barnes, you know, and see whether we, you know, do they re-sign Lester, or are all three of those guys ready to step in? Do they, you know, maybe sign a guy, like, you know, like a Dempster-type contract, maybe not to Dempster, but just for a couple of years until they figure out what to do. But there's a spot where those guys can slot in if everything goes correctly. With some of these other guys, I don't see that. You know, with with Bryce Brents, you know, eh, there's kind of the outfield, but, you know, there's so many other variables there. You know, Jose Iglesias, we see what's happening there. They just went and signed Stephen Drew to start a shortstop this season. Ryan LaVarnway, who knows? I mean, as the roster is presently constructed, he starts in AAA. Um, you know, of, of maybe those players or maybe others that I'm missing, who really can realistically be counted on to be part of this next wave of guys based on what we saw this past year uh, on, on who the, the Sox might be preparing to have on the Major League roster in the near future? Well, I, I mean, I would say realistically, probably of those three, n- none of them are really, I wouldn't say counted on as being part of the a future core. Um, I think like with Brent Iglesias and Lavarnway, I think all three are sort of in the uh, class where Red Sox probably, you know, think highly of them and like them, but they can't really count on them at this point for each of their own uh, sort of warts and uh, what they've shown so far. Um, you know, with Brent specifically, as you mentioned, he kind of gets lumped in with the, the killer bees and, you know, it's nothing against him. He's a nice prospect. I'm sure almost everyone have him in the top ten in uh, in the Red Sox system. It's just the you know the the level he has to play to be a major league regular is is really high. Like even if he were to have a season like Josh Reddick, I'm not sure that would be good enough um, to be a, a starter. With you know Josh Reddick has a has a cannon for an arm and I would say better defensive skills. Uh, at Brent's is more average, so you know he'd have to have that se- that type of season as a minimum to really be a starter for the Red Sox, I would say. So his he, so he really has a high bar set. So that's that's why I would be a, uh, or I'm a little lower on him at least. And I just think in general those three are are sort of um, they're just they're, they're not counted on at this point. But the Red Sox really hope for uh, something out of each one of them. Yeah, yeah, I agree with. Sorry, I, I agree. With, I agree with Matt's overall, you know, point right there. I think he makes. I think he makes very good points. You know, I'd say, I'd say with out of those three, I think Iglesias is the guy that you know. I don't know if I'd, I'd say core, but he's a, he could be a supplemental player in that. And and I because I, you know with the defense at shortstop, you know, center field, shortstop and catchers, your up the middle positions are really where you look for defense first when you look at the player. And you and you usually say at those three positions, you say if the player can play 
at a high level of defense will take less offense. I think that's the philosophy. You know, that's the philosophy we can agree upon across baseball. So when you look at Iglesias and you say, "Well, it's bad," you know, if he if he never hits better than two fifty, two fifty five in the big leagues, and it's just a hollow two fifty, two fifty five with with a, with a little bit of doubles and and he, and he can get on base at a, at a decent clip, and he's not really killing you in the lineup, then he could be a regular for for a handful to, to more seasons, you know, and, and as Matt said with Brents, it's again, I, I liked how you termed it. It's that bar, you know, he's, he's got to have high productive offensive seasons year in and year out to be a major league regular. And when you look at kind of his profile, a guy with a lot of swing and miss in a swing, kind of a suspect approach and, and Matt used to, you know, compare him to Josh Reddick, you know, Josh Reddick hit 240 this year with 151 strikeouts. He hit his 32 home runs, which everybody kind of points to, but, you know, he hit something like 202 in the second half and he really faded off in the playoffs. He was a non-factor. He was something like one for 18 with 12 strikeouts. You know, is, can that type of profile hold up year over year? And, and the answer is typically no. So you got to, you know, for a guy to be a regular for a handful of seasons, he's got to be productive for those those five seasons in a row. Yeah, just to give and you so- numbers on Reddick, and the first half he was two sixty eight, three forty eight, five thirty two, and hit twenty of his thirty two home runs. Then, in the second half, he hit two fifteen, got on base at a two fifty six clip, and slugged three ninety one. And if he were in Boston, there's no doubt in my mind they would have gone out of their way to try and replace him if they were making a playoff run. And. Um, so yeah, that's, 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 that's 70, 80 games. I mean, that's half a season. 70, so, 73 games. Right. So you're talking about almost half a season. And with, with baseball, you, just, you have to perform year over year to kind of continue to hold down that job. And, and that's not to say I, I think Brents could have a season in big leagues like that. I think he could, you know, if he got everyday playing time, he could, you know, maybe hit 240, 250, drive out 25 home runs, you know, a lot of strikeouts and, and play, as Matt said, about average defense in right field. But, you know, what, would he be able to sustain that type of profile year over year? And I, and I don't think it's true. You know, you, a lot of people like to point, and point at the player, you know, Jeff Rancor, who's, who's kind of bounced around. He's been, a, he's been an average second division regular for about his career. That's kind of what his career has come out to, a second division regular. And uh, there's room for those guys on some of the smaller market teams or if you're signing guys to one-year contracts and you're having to compete for a spot and if they still have options, you can send them up and down between AAA. And then once those options start to burn, those are the guys who kind of get DFA'd or, or traded around or just kind of you know move to a fourth outfield role or, or a bench role if they play another position. So you know, like with Brents, I think that's kind of you know, what he is. And then you know, when you talk about LaVarnway, I think like Iglesias, he could be one of those complementary potential supplemental players, a guy who can be a platoon catcher, but maybe, or, or, or a guy off your bench, you know, you, you don't, you look at him and say, you know, maybe his role would be, he could catch 40, 50, maybe 60 games, DH a little bit, get himself 300 ish, 400, uh, 300, 350 plate plate appearances and contribute on a roster like that. You know, you're looking at, you know, I don't, I think we all agree a, a long-term starter, a catcher, you know, someone who's going to go out there and play 125, 130 games. As a frontline catcher, no, they wouldn't have signed David Ross this season to that to that contract for that amount of money. Again, up the middle defense, a guy who can play defense first behind the plate and chip in with the bat. You know, with Ross, if he, you know, whatever he chips in offensively, I think I think everybody's going to take that because he's going to catch and he's going to provide leadership and defense behind the plate. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the separating factor with those three in that. Brents, I think he's fine defensively and right. He's actually got a pretty good arm. It's not it's not Reddick good, 
but I mean, he's got a good arm. Um, I think he's average. He's an average guy out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he did. He lead the system in outfield assists this year. I think I read somewhere. So I mean, yeah. I mean, he can throw, but you he know, can throw. Not... I mean, he's. I mean, overall average. You know, I mean, he, like I said, he doesn't have Reddick's arm, but I would. You know, he doesn't have the range. And... Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have Reddick's. I mean, Reddick's got. You know, he can handle center fieldish type range. Maybe he wouldn't start there, but. At any rate, you know, to me, you know, with him in right field, with the way he kind of oscillates with these hot streaks and cold streaks. And I think for a major league team to support that in right field, they need to have someone at one of those up the middle spots that hits. You know, they need to have a shortstop that hits or a center fielder that hits. You know, maybe if you've got Matt Kemp in center, you can deal with having Brinson right, you know. Yeah, the first division team, at least. I was going to say that I thought Frank Cora was a good, a good name to bring up. I, that's that's the kind of thing a uh, career I can kind of imagine. Maybe not necessarily you know as little discipline or or whatever, but um, just in terms of the way he's had some big seasons here and there, and people have gotten really excited about him, uh, like in Kansas City, I think two years ago, um, and you know they've sort of seen him as a legitimate you know top starting outfielder but then he's fizzled out again that's the kind of career i can see out of brent's just sort of you know up and down years and reddick too in my opinion yeah reddick too yeah yeah but i mean to me with i think iglesias i think they are hoping that he's in that core personally i look at i look at the one-year deal for steven true which to be honest let's let's you know look at the situation here that was really the only move they could have made at shortstop unless they were going to try and trade for as cabrera but that would have you know that would not have been cheap. Um, I, I I get why you know, and I say this admitting that you know Iglesias is my binky. But uh, you know, I, as much as I would have loved to see Iglesias playing defense every day, he's probably not ready to hit. Um, as great as defense first as the shortstop position is, and as great as his defense is, I, I'm not sure he can hit well enough to even hit ninth in a major league lineup right now. Now the question is: Is hitting more in AAA gonna do anything i'm doubtful but who knows um and i think it's put it this is put up or shut up time for him uh this coming year but to me him a little bit ahead of those other two even if we necessarily don't have iglesias ranked ahead of a brent's or ahead of you know maybe would he would he whether he would or wouldn't be ahead of the way i think he'd be far ahead of him i don't know well, i well wait till you get to my top 10 for yeah for, that's true that's I'll, true I'll, I'll defend him a little. That's true. I mean, the more that I think about it, the more that I kind of might be on board with, with where you have him. But at any rate, I just think, you know, I think Brents is a guy who's going to be a steady major leaguer. I don't know if it's with the Red Sox. Iglesias, I think he's got a shot. They want him to, but he's got to show he can hit a certain amount. And LaVarnway, I think, I mean, he's a backup. And, a, and I didn't have, in my in my top 10 talents, 25 years of age and younger, on BP, I didn't have either Lavarnway, Brents, or Iglesias in my top ten. Mm-hmm. I had oh, the major. Go. I had Middlebrooks and DeBron in there mm-hmm. from the major leaguers, and, and then the rest. Rosa. And De La Rosa was number five in that list. But I, I it cut off. At, it, Henry Owens was my number ten, and Iglesias, Brents, and Lavarnway were after. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't really even have them in consideration for for that top ten. Which, and let's let's be honest here too that. Having those three outside your top ten talents under twenty five is a good thing. Right, exactly. That's like that's a very good thing. That's not necessarily a knock on them. No, it's, you know. Um, but if I thought either one of them were going to be the type of regular that can play up to close to above average 
for a number of seasons, for you know a handful of seasons, they would have been in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there anyone maybe in that kind of soon to be up range? I mean, obviously you have the relievers, um, Alex Wilson. Um, you know, some of those other guys in AAA. Maybe Chris Hernandez as someone who could. I think his future's in the bullpen, but it wouldn't stun me to see them give him a, st- a spot start maybe this year. Um, but I think that basically covers all the. I mean, you've got the AAA outfielders and you know, Hassan. I guess Kalish you could talk about too, but um, he's over twenty five. But I just I don't think they can count on him to give them anything until he shows he can be healthy. And he hasn't played in three years, so right. it's tough. Right. To- right. Exactly. Exactly. So you can't project anything out of him yet. Um, much as I would love to see him come in in 2012 and rip the cover off the ball for two months and Pawtucket and force his way up. Um, and he may, but it's just tough to tell. It's tough. To, it's tough to go on anything. What, what are we basing yeah. it off of his 2010 scouting reports exactly. at this point? You know. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, well, moving on to me, the the next bigger next biggest story. Uh, of 2012 was this kind of second wave that developed. I know, Chris, you've already mentioned Henry Owens, but it seems like, you know, when you look at the top 10, you've got the guys we talked about, and then there's Garrett Caccini, Blake Swihart, Henry Owens, that, uh, you know, we've got those three guys and maybe some others in that A-ball level that are kind of the next wave coming up. Uh, what I mean, what do the Sox have there? Uh, it, uh, to me, it's, you know... Guys that have the ceilings to maybe break out and and you know reach that Middlebrooks Bogarts level within a you know whatever percentage possibility of that happening, but um, to me it's it's that kind of second wave that they've always had those guys in A ball that could come up, but it you know to me these are at least in the case of Owens and Swire are maybe a little better than the guys they've had down there. Um, what's your take on the second wave? Um, let's start with Mellon on this one. I think they serve it their good depth. Um, I think that. You know where, and it's not an indictment on them. It's more, of a, I just want to say, it's more the, the lay of the land in the system and how the talent level is right now. That they're kind of in the top. To, if there were, if there were other pe- prospects, the equivalent of Barnes, Bogarts, Bradley, Webster, you know, they wouldn't be in the top ten. You know, it would be an easy decision to put someone else in. And, and I can t- t- talk from when I was putting together, and we were working on that Red Sox top ten over at Baseball Prospectus. That was kind of the conversations we had. Well. I, as I said, I said, you know, I could move either, you know, I I, I could move Ciccini or Owens out of the top 10, but I don't, there's no one really to put in ahead of them, and especially, you know, Brent's too. There's just not that, that, that level of depth in terms of guys like Bradley. You know, if they had a couple of those guys, a couple more of those guys, it'd be easy. You know, it wouldn't even be a decision, in my opinion. They there wouldn't be a debate. They'd be in there. So I don't think that's an indictment of their prospect status or their their potential. I just think that they're more they're guys who are three to five seasons away at this point, and it's and they're not really guys that you you kind of plan around. They're guys that you just continue to watch develop and let develop and see where the talent takes them because they they certainly do have the talent, but they have a lot of stuff and a lot of hurdles that they have to pass through and gates before they even get to the upper minors, let alone start knocking on the door of the um, the big leagues. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, the the big name or the one that um, I like the most, I guess, is Swihart. Or you know, that's that's the a catching prospect that they really haven't had in the system in recent years. So, um, you know, he, he could potentially develop into a blue chip prospect as well. But, uh, you know, right now he's just someone with, with a lot of potential, obviously, as they all are. 
but uh, you know, being a, a first round pick from a couple years ago, just coming out of high school and learning to catch more or less this season uh, at the full season level, uh, he you know he does have a chance to take big steps next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the that's the difference for me with guys like Owens and Swihart. Whereas in the past, the guys at the, that level have been guys that fell but were bonus babies. But it's like they fell because teams didn't want to give them that money in the first round. You know, they were still first roundish talents. Like that's the thing with yeah, Chichini. He got you know one what was it one point two million to sign, but you know to me, I I, I would take Swihart and Owens over him personally at this point. Um, even with the great year that Chichini had. Um, but that said, I think those three guys are, are players who could come up, and any one of them, I mean, you know, the hit tool for Cuccini and Swihart, I could see that continuing to develop. And Owens, for a guy who was just, you know, 20 years old in A-ball, yeah, he's a little older, but he had, you know, great pitchability, even if he was trying to, you know, overcome some of those inconsistency issues he had, where, you know, he'd come out one inning and he'd, you know, get get you know, blown out of the water after, you know, four innings of dominance. Those are things I don't mind out of a guy that young, you know, whereas other times you'll see issues with a guy that's young where they're succeeding, but, you know, like a Sean Coyle, for example, had a great year last year, but if you saw him play, there were issues in his game that then got exploited a little bit in high A this year, you know? So I, I kind of like where where that lower part of the system is going. It's not just a top-heavy system that's going to graduate a bunch of guys and then look barren, um, I thought, you know, for example, the Rays were a, a, a system that was like that until they made the Will Myers trade, where they just, when they graduated all their guys at the top, you know, there was nothing behind them. Um, you know, they had like Hack Julie or something, but, eh, you know, Taylor Guerrero is so far away. Um, I like how it, it seems like the system is fuller than it has near the, you know, in terms of top prospects than it has in a long time. Right. There's, yeah. There's just about. I mean, it's it's almost on the extreme end, right? You have guys who are just almost ready, or showing that they're almost ready, and, and starting to push there. And then guys who are so many years away. There's a gap, right? That that middle that middle area, that that area between the between guys. You know, for this year, in terms of really setting a foothold and someone who could come out of nowhere mm-hmm. and kind of compete at the major league level. I, I would say that if you looked at it. You know, you got you kind of know the suspects right now who could potentially kind of rise up and make that you know that progression from Double A AA to Triple A and suddenly be in the big leagues this year. You kind of see that progression right there, but other guys aren't really there. Mm-hmm. All right, well, you know, I, I've, we've heard what the three of us have to say on on these things, but um, very happy to say that I think we finally got it working. Um, Michael, are you there? I'm here. Hey, hey, yeah, excellent. All right, well, we're finally. Uh, knock on wood. Joined by Mike Andrews, um, we, we've the, the, the circuit breaker in Andrews Manor has has started working again. Is that? Yeah, the circuit breaker knocked out my router and and it's back up and running again. So I apologize in advance if it pops out again. But uh, I've had it up and running for ten minutes straight. So ten minutes. Knock on, knock on wood that it'll it'll stay in. Hey, I'm I'm willing to go with ten minutes. Um, <laughs> Uh, Mike, one thing that the three of us have been talking about that I wanted to get your take on, and, and we kind of started on this a little bit yesterday, but we talked about two things, um, and I guess we could briefly get your thoughts on both. First thing being this core that's kind of bubbled up near the top of the system uh, with Xander Bogarts, Jackie Bradley, Matt Barnes, Alan Webster, where it's some top 100-level talents that are, are near ready 
that now are at the level where the team is planning to build around them. And then, you know, is that the plan? Who else is in that core? You know, that's also near that near ready. And then the thing that you just came on while we were talking about was that kind of second wave of Owen Swihart, Ticini, and the other A-ball guys, and, you know, maybe the Jacobses and Coils of the world where, you know, I, I the way I kind of thought of it was it maybe the system has, you know, bright spots both higher in the system and lower. Um, so I guess sure. we'll start with the former and, and just you can go ahead and riff since we yeah. haven't had you on the podcast in <laughs> nigh forever. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that my uh, take on this is going to be anything mind-blowing, but it's it's the Bogarts, Barnes, Bradley, Webster, De La Rosa. I think that they're all um, going to be ready for a cup of coffee in August, September this year. Um, and then, well, not really uh, Barnes, but um, and then maybe start making uh, regular contributions in 2014 to 2015. Um and that's just a, a core of players that uh, you can really build around in, in, in addition to some of the um, players that are already on uh, kind of the Major League roster or the cusp of the Major League roster, stay like uh, LeVar and Way, Middlebrooks, uh, Pedroia should get an extension at some point. Um, and then you have these guys that are the, um, the kind of the bridge players for the for the next year or two in the uh, Stephen Drews and the Johnny Gomes and the Shane Victorinos. Um, but but I, I do I do think that they have this good core that they can start building around. I'd really like to see um, some more um, high-end starting pitching uh, coming into the, into the system, but uh, I'm sure every single team in the um, country will, will say that, that same thing. And then after that set of guys, they, they have um, some other uh, – players that project as, as potential um, first division starters, um, if not uh, second division starters that will ultimately get traded to the Pirates, like a Cicchini or a Swihart <laughs> or an Owens uh, type of player. And, um, I mean, there's also those other, there's also some guys in the double-A and triple-A level that might serve as good uh, role players or occasional starters. Uh, Iglesias... Um, being one where he he may develop into a, a starter, a passable uh, first division starter, but if not, I think that he'll be uh, a, a valuable uh, a backup or a very valuable trade ship. Um, and guys like uh, the Drake Britons and the Brandon Workmans, I think that those type of players will really um, uh, can really work well as as just kind of uh, role player type players that have a, a little bit of value. M- might not be um, starters over the long haul, but players that will. Uh, can make some type of impact at, at the major league level. You know, to me, it's interesting that you know in the top ten right now on the website, um, and for the purpose of this, we'll include De La Rosa. You know, you've got guys who are all projected. The top five, a uh, top six actually on the website are all guys projected to start uh, Portland or higher. And then you have those three guys we talked about, and then there's Iglesias. And then when you look at the next ten, it's kind of more heavy the other way, I think, where it's guys who are going to be maybe at Salem or Greenville a little bit more heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas those might be guys who, without the blue chip talent that's near the top, might have been pushed into the top ten. Like, I could have seen Devin Marrero in a top ten, and he's in some top tens, kind of fringy on that 8, 9, 10 spot this year, but I could see past years where he might have been at number six by default. You know, maybe even last year or the year before, where just because a guy's a first-round pick, he might be sure. in there. They get stuck in there because uh, you really you they still have that uh, ceiling where they have the first round pick value. But I feel like we 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 saw enough of Marrero. Mellon saw enough of Marrero. 
Um, right. And you, uh, you guys may have already talked about this, where um, the, the shine might already be off of him just a little bit. Not that he's uh, stiff or anything like that, but it's it's um, he. You can already see a few of the flaws uh, in his first year in Lowell, but. We saw that with players like Bryce Brents before, uh, and, they, and they've come back and turned it around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, well, I guess, you know, now that we've got Mike on, we can maybe have a little bit of a fuller conversation on this. But the next topic I wanted to hit on is our personal top tens and maybe compare them, you know, with, well, I guess the sites, which will match up with Mike's, um, as well as uh, Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, um, which to some degree might just be melons at this point. Um, you know, as far as what... Um, you know, what are we looking at in the system? People love rankings. They love to see the ranking 1 to 10, um, you know, 1 to 20, 1 to 30, if you look at, you know, the prospect handbook, 1 to 60, if you're looking at our site. Um, I, just looking generally, I have everyone's top 10 here, and there's some areas where we all agree where I, I don't see any point in having much discussion. Um, everybody agrees Xander Bogarts is the top prospect in the system. Um, that's not really debatable. He's going to be in a lock for top 25. He might even be in top 20s, top 15s of, of the top 100 prospect lists this offseason. Um, the first question that we'll get into is kind of this next group. I think everyone sees this top four that we were talking about. Everybody has Bogarts at the top of it, Webster maybe at the bottom of it. But Jackie Bradley versus Matt Barnes... Is, is kind of a toss-up question at this point. Um, both Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus have Bradley ahead. Um, Mike, Chris, and Matt, you guys all have Barnes as the number two prospect. I personally lean Jackie Bradley a little bit, but I do waver on that, and I think I might just be taking that position to be contrarian, admittedly. But um, I guess why, for you guys, is Matt Barnes the two ahead of, ahead of Jackie Bradley? Well, I actually actually lost this this debate on the baseball prospectus um, top ten. Mine had my submission, and what I wanted had Barnes at number two, and Jason Parks wanted Bradley at number two, and and his was basically he based it on the up the middle defense, just that he you know a, a, an above average center fielder as Bradley projects is, in his opinion, was more valuable than a a third. A, a solid third starter like Barnes and someone with the chance to have number two type seasons. I, I see it reversed because I feel like because I've seen Bar- Barnes and Bradley quite a bit and been able to scout those two guys. I think that it's not a knock on Bradley. I, I think that he's going to be a very good player at the major league level, but I think he's going to do so many subtle things that aren't going to get picked up on say the stat sheets or really on, on the way people track the game that they're going to kind of go for naught and people might say that hey Bradley wasn't as good as you guys projected him to be um, with Barnes I just think I just think having pitching and, and for me I, I value pitchers a little bit more than position players when, when even because I think that Barnes can be a guy who can log 200 innings in multiple seasons he's a horse he's six foot four he's 230 pounds he's He's a strong guy. He's getting stronger, and he pitches so well with his fastball. And, and that's something that, as I see from the short season ball all the way up through AAA and into the big leagues, that's the big separator between the pitchers. Is that the guys who can spot the fastball and pitch with their fastball, hit the spots, you know, work in all four quadrants of the strike zone, throw the ball just outside enough that batters chase it, or, or they have to think about it. That those guys are the ones that really succeed. 
and, and, and I think Barnes is kind of a combination of a power and finesse pitcher when he gets up and, and gets his footing in the big league level. A guy who can, who can strike a guy out when he needs to, but who's going to know how to churn through a lineup and effectively um, get, get outs in those middle innings and go deeper into baseball games. And I just think that when you stack up the value, I, I think both of them, to me, are above average regulars. But I just think that pitcher, having the guy, you know, 200-plus innings, going deep into games, um, you know, keep, keeping the team in position to win games, that's important. And, and, and Bradley will do those things too, but I just think, you know, having that pitching, you know, puts, puts Barnes slightly. I mean, it's a, it's a little, it's an inch above Bradley. Mm-hmm. How about you, Matt? Why, why did you go with Barnes over Bradley? I mean, there's really not too much to add on that. Um, you know, they're, they're extremely close in my mind. I, I was going back and forth on it as well. I mostly, I, I like Barnes a lot, but I, I mostly gave him the edge, uh, kind of the same reason Mellon did, uh, just as a pitcher, uh, I just, you know, I just thought the, the pitching was more valuable to the system at this point. Michael? Uh, yeah, generally the same thing. I mean, I like, um, Barnes' uh, ceiling as a little bit higher as a guy that, uh, like Mellon said, might have a couple of, uh, number two starter years. Um, and could be somebody that's a number three starter for uh, 12 seasons. Um, I, I really um, think that that's really valuable. Um, we did see some flaws with the second half of the year where he ran uh, out of steam. Uh, I think that's something that, uh, assuming he can stay healthy, that should um, make an, uh, we should see some improvements on um, in 2013, uh, knock on wood that he doesn't end up having the same cut, uh, kind of season that Anthony Renato had when he was uh, doing the same thing and uh, trying to ramp up innings that much. Uh, but if he can stay healthy, I see a, a good season coming out of him. Um, Bradley, um, again, not really any um, mind-blowing opinions here. I, I just see him as um, somebody that has excellent plate discipline that's going to uh, have a great approach, uh, could probably play in the major leagues uh, mid to late this season and uh, be a, a plus defensive player with a great approach, um, some decent speed, but uh, isn't going to hit too many home runs. Um, so that, I mean, th- that has uh, that has a lot of value in it itself, but I'll, I'll take the pitcher over the center fielder right now. Mm-hmm. Like Mellon said, just by an inch. Yeah, I mean, for me, and again, it is just by an inch. I, I see the argument to have Bradley second, Um and like I said, I do go back and forth on this, but to me, the the thing with Barnes is, well, you know, he's got by far probably the best fastball in terms of everything that goes with it, maybe, in the system, um, in terms of the location, the movement, and velocity, not just saying he rears back and throws 100. You know, he, he throws, sits, sits what, mid-90s throughout a start? 90, he's usually 93 to 95. Right. Which, you know, for any starting pitcher, at least in the system, I mean, maybe Drake Britton throws a little harder, but it may not have quite the movement or location that, that Barnes's has. Um, to me, it's, it's a combination of, you know, does the secondary stuff develop? Um, I still see a worst-case scenario where Barnes is a late-inning reliever, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but, like, if the secondary stuff doesn't come, which it is probably going to, and there's nothing this, re- this season that we saw to indicate that not happening, but you know, if he only if one of only one of the two pitches develops, either the curve or the change, is that enough to start? Um, you know, whereas to me with Bradley, where he's already capable, based on what we've heard and based on what you've seen, Chris, uh, I personally haven't seen him. That this is a guy who could play a major league center field defensively right now. 
Um, you know, it's basically Shea Swan Lin if he didn't, if he wasn't just, you know, up there looking to walk. You know, there's a difference between up there and taking a lot of walks and up there and having a great approach at the plate that I think gets lost in, in a lot of these prospect discussions. I just see maybe at the floor might be a little different. Um, you know, maybe it's part of me being becoming a little bit of a pessimist, but um, and again, I think just by a nose, maybe knowing the attrition rate with pitching prospects um, is why I might put Jackie Bradley ahead a little bit. You know, you see these guys who come up in their can't miss. I guess it happens with hitter hitting prospects as well, but um, you know, just so many things that could happen with a pitching prospect versus the range of outcomes that you can have with a position player. I don't know. Yeah, there's um, more. I mean, there's more. Barnes has more risk, just, yeah. just based on the injury. Just based on the position, there's there's a lot more risk with Barnes. It's more physically demanding for Barnes, and um, there is. I can see that. I can see having you know, based on risk, you know, you. I definitely could see Bradley at two and Barnes at three. If if ever, if you considered them all tied, and you said, what's the risk? Barnes has obviously got more risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, then it's it's funny after those guys, all of us have Alan Webster at four, um, which to me is almost kind of misleading. It's not like he's that far behind those guys. I mean, he's behind them, but um, to me, just with, you know, it, the thing with him is the command, which does is a little worrisome, but, um, you know, it's kind of the separator there. But, uh, you know, him at four is the solid four. Nothing wrong with that. He was a guy who, when the Red Sox traded for him, was seen by most as, at that point, the top prospect in the Dodgers system. Um, which you didn't hear because Baseball America didn't say so back in April. Um, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, and then there, there kind of seems to be this next group of four slash maybe five um, of Garen Caccini, Blake Swihart, Henry Owens, Bryce Brents, and then lurking just behind, perhaps, according to some, Jose Iglesias. Um, but everybody therein has them ranked differently. Um, Chris, you have Blake, Blake Swihart fifth, as does Matt. Mike, you have Bryce Brent's fifth, um, as did John Mioli. Um, let's see, Baseball America had Henry Owens fifth. Uh, Baseball Prospectus had, had Swihart. Um, Fangraphs had Caccini five. Um, you know, I guess what separates those guys in 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 your minds? The, those, I guess, we'll start with those four, and then when we get to Matt, I want to hear why he has Jose Iglesias at six. But um, I guess we'll go in reverse order. Mike, the, those four guys: Caccini, Swihart, Owens, Brents. What's the separator for you in terms of ranking them the way the way you have them? Uh, probably risk and ceiling. Um, I would say that uh, Caccini, Swihart, and Owens uh, all have. Uh, higher ceilings than Brant's, um, but they're they're really far away. I mean, it's um, the um, the number of things that could happen in between Greenville and Boston. Um, you you can count you can't count them on both hands. Um, they could never make it past Salem, uh, or they could become like Chikini could take over Middlebrooks at some point. You just don't know. Um, the the projectability is there on all three of those players. Um, but the risk is greater. Whereas Brent's, uh, you, you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, there's there's some range of outcomes where maybe he has uh, a couple seasons like Josh Reddick had this past season um, in, in in the perfect world. Uh, but he's going to be challenged at uh, at the major league level, I think. Um, but at the same time, he's a guy that could be traded um, 
to the National League West and end up being uh, a starter for a few years, or the National League East, like again, like the Pirates or something like that. He could he could probably uh, start on a, a, a second, third division team um, by midseason and, and make some decent contributions. Mm-hmm. And just for for the record, you rank them: Brents, Caccini, Swihart, Owens. Um, and I guess between those, the younger guys, what separates them for you? Chikini um, and Swihart are really close to me. They both have, um, they both have high ceilings. Uh, they they have some major league tools. Um, for me, not a whole lot. I, I think it's very close to me. I think that I it's a toy, coin toss. So I went with the performance in in two thousand and um, in two thousand twelve was slightly better from Chikini and Swihart, uh, which is not all of that uh, the be all and end all, obviously, but it wins the coin toss and then Owens I just think that there's a lot of work to be done and a, and, a, and a lot of risk there with the high ceiling I just think that um the the, the chances of him becoming a major leaguer aren't um phenomenal but the, he he has he has um mid middle of the rotation potential mm-hmm. and now and now Chris you ranked them um in this order Swihart Caccini Owens Brents so some variation, especially on Brents. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll talk first, I guess, why Brents is at the bottom of that list for you, and then quickly about what separates the A-ball guys. Um, I, I just think Brent, as Mike said, Brents is going to be chat down to the major league level. And I don't think he's a pure enough of a hitter. And when I watch, when I watch and scout him, I also look at that, that pitch recognition. And for a guy his age... You know where he is now to to get to where I think he has to get to to be that regular at the major league level. There's a large gap, and I just think that I, I you know obviously I always say that I, I believe that players get better with their pitch recognition, they get better with their approach, and that's things that they improve with experience. And and I think you know when you go from 18 to 25, there's definitely progression, and players can get can get better at it. But there's obviously an inherent ceiling, just based on skill level and based on talent you know just just some guys see the ball better than others and and people don't like that explanation you know a, a lot but you know a guy like will middlebrooks just might see the ball better than bryce brents and and whatever brents puts in for work and however hard he that he's just not going to get there because the ceiling's limited and that's what i see with brents in terms of his what he what he brings at the plate and that i don't think it's because of any lack of effort or i watch him and he and he's dedicated to it, and I think he knows what he has to do. I just don't think that that talent and that 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 aspect of this game is there. It's similar to you know, if I go out and try to dunk a basketball, I can practice as hard as I want, but I'm never going to dunk a basketball on a ten foot net. I just I just can't do it. You know, you know, I I can't throw ninety miles an hour, regardless of how hard I go out there and try. I'm just not going to be able to do it. It's just a certain inherent talent that goes along with with athletics. So that's kind of where I sit with Brent's, and then. You know, between Swihart, Ciccini, and Owens, you know, I was really an advocate of having uh, Swihart in the fifth spot in that ranking on, on baseball perspectives because I just really like the way that Swihart goes about approaching the game of baseball and that feel for the game of baseball. And again, that's kind of one of those things that, you know, you don't have really a metric to measure or, or anything like that. It's just when you watch a player and scout a player over the course of a lot of games and kind of see what they do, you know, he has that talent and that feel for baseball. And, you know, the way he hits, he has a really good feel for hitting left-handed. 
as a switch hitter, and he's only been hitting left-handed since he was a junior in high school, which was about 16 or 17 years old. I mean, so he's only been doing it for the last three seasons, and he's doing it pretty, you know, okay at the at the at the professional level. And, and I think that that aspect of his game can get a lot better with the experience, with, with the repetition and experience that for growth there as a lefty. You know, his natural side is right-handed, and, and you know he's he's got a, a nice swing right-handed. He's got a really pretty swing left-handed, and, and it's just kind of, to me, you know, sit back, and it, it's kind of impressive or, or amazing that someone who's only been really doing that for three seasons uh, do it well, and, and they're in professional baseball doing it. You know, and then with the, the catching position, although I'm, you know, I'm split on whether he can st- stick a catcher, I lean towards that he's not going to stick a catcher. His next position is second base, and I think that's where I think he fits on the diamond. And you look at, you know, what he could bring offensively to the second base position, and if he's stuck behind the plate, that's a really valuable player, in my opinion. So that's, you know, that's my thinking. You know, when I, when I look at Ciccini, you know, he's a third baseman right now. I think his ceiling is about an average defensive third baseman. If it doesn't really get there, you're looking at a guy who would play a corner outfield spot, which starts to put a lot of pressure on his bat and, and his power development. And um, there's some kind of things there with his swing stride and the way that he transfers his weight right now that he doesn't really get all the power and tap into it. And that's an area that I'm watching to see how that progresses. So I think that right there, that puts him behind Swihart for me. And then with Owens, as Mike said, there's a lot of vari- variability with Owens right now. You know, I really like the way that he, he's loose with his delivery. He throws his fastball well. You know, I clocked him 91 to 94 miles per hour. That's nothing to sneeze at for a lefty. That's, you know, his, his fastball sits in the plus range. You know, he's not an average fastball guy. He's got a good fastball. But his delivery is, is really um, raw and rough and crude. And he's going to be 21 years old in July, I believe. So his delivery... You know, you're thinking about it from an 18-year-old. His delivery is three seasons. You know, where he is right now, he's almost three seasons into a professional career for someone who was drafted a little bit younger at at, eight, at a true 18. So, how much more can that delivery go? And where that's, you know, where's he going to end up? Was it? Is it? You know, maybe he ends up like a Andrew Miller. Maybe that's his floor that he ends up in the bullpen, kind of along that role. As Mike said, you know, the ceiling about a, a middle rotation. You know, a number three starter, and then kind of the projection. You know, somewhere in between there. So I don't think it's really clear with him. But I do like the talent. You know, I, I like the I like the way he went out there and pitched the couple times that I've, I've scouted him. But um, I just think that the, again, the risk and um, just again pitching, as, as you know, as we said with Barnes, is a little bit more risk than the position players. Mm-hmm. And now, Matt, I'm really interested to hear your take on these guys. You have these four players ranked in this order of, of Swihart, Ciccini, uh Brent Owens. Which, um, okay, yeah, so I think that's you're unique in that sense. But you also have Jose Iglesias ranked sixth ahead of all of them but Swihart, um, which I find interesting, whereas every, every other list has him ranked behind those four. Um, in the case of John Mioli, outside of the top ten. Um, I guess to start with, you know what, let's, let's hold off on Iglesias. I want to hear why you rank... The four we've been talking about the way you do, but then I think it'll lead us into our next discussion to talk about Iglesias and what exactly we have there. Because in seeing you rank him there, I think it kind of got me thinking a little bit too. So, All right. Yeah, fire away. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'll, I'll probably have to go into Iglesias' discussion because that's sort of what I uh, centered it all around. Uh, sure, go for it. And, Ignore uh, what I said. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of those, those three... Or, those three young guys, or four, uh, Blake Swihart was clearly my number five. That that I didn't really have any questions on. Those top five are pretty easy for me. But then once I got to six, it wasn't 
I wasn't really planning on having Iglesias there. It wasn't like, uh, you know, I thought, you know, this was a chance to show how high I am on Iglesias or something. I was, I was, it came down to Cicchini, Brents, and Iglesias for the sixth spot for me. And I, I like Cicchini a lot, but I mean, obviously he's, he's pretty far away and he didn't really show a lot of power last year, which if, you know, if he played shortstop, that wouldn't really be an issue. But as a third baseman, I'm just wondering how that, that power will ultimately uh, translate to major league level. And then Brents, as I said before, um, you know, I just think the bar is pretty high for him to be a, to be a starter, to be a regular on a, on a major league team. He really has to, you know, put up at least probably re- the, the numbers Redick uh, put up last year if he wants to have regular playing time or regular starting time with the Red Sox at least. So in terms of Iglesias, I finally came down to him at number six, um, mainly because uh, he just has to, the bar for him is so low. He has to do so, improve so little offensively or do so little offensively in order to be a major leaguer that I, that I think he can, he can develop that. And people point to the fact that he's had a lot of time in AAA already. But he hasn't had a lot of minor league time in general. So I think that that is a more uh, pertinent stat than, than his AAA uh, games played. I think that the, the Red Sox rushed him a little bit in uh, getting him to AA and AAA so, so quickly. And uh, that, that uh, he's also had injuries at key times each season. Uh, it seems like every every time when he's sort of gotten hot or gotten on a good streak, he's had some sort of small injury that set him back a month or a month and a half. Um, <clears throat> you know, in addition to that, he's he, you know he's sort of known as a hard worker and a good kid, and I think that he'll sort of develop that more selectivity. You know, he kind of he grew up in Cuba, where that really isn't uh, that's not something that's uh, you know, weighted heavily at all. Not something people are really looking for for you to take pitches. So I think that, you know, coming here fairly young, he still has a chance to learn some of that. He obviously still has the bat speed. And he's only, you know, a year older than Cicchini, who's, you know, three to four levels behind him. So I think that uh, even though he's he hasn't shown much with the bat in his time at AAA, he still has some developing to do in the minor leagues. And, uh, I think that just the the fact that the bar is so low, he can he still has a good chance to reach that. Hmm. Well said, Matt. Very well <laughs> said. Interesting. So, what do you guys think then? So, I mean, it's well said, but you know, you guys both have him ranked ninth behind these guys. You know, is he close to that group? Maybe should this be a five player group, or or is there kind of a step down to Iglesias in terms of ranking for you guys? Well, I, I think this is. I think Matt Matt makes very good points. I, I can tell you that. When we had a debate, when we were doing the top ten, Iglesias was put as high as sixth by by some other people. So it wasn't like, and these these are people in the know. So it's not like you know Matt's just coming out of the blue with it. You know, I've seen other people want to push Iglesias that high because of basically similar points that Matt made. You know, the defense and that again, shortstop's a defense only position, and and I think that. Because a lot of us grew up in that Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, Nomar Garcia, Parra, Miguel Tejeda era. We think now that all shortstops go around and belt 25 home runs and hit or 50 home runs like Rodriguez did and hit 300, and that's just not the case. And, and, and shortstops is a defensive first position, so I can see that, you know, that point of view. But just for me, you know, I think what Matt touched on being that, you know, the the 
approach and the plate discipline is just he's so far behind in that and again as Matt said coming from Cuba and although he was 20 years old and the Red Sox did rush him I mean they 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 absolutely did rush him I mean they probably should have kept him in double a that first year again that second year rather than promote him but he's got a lot of he's got a ways to go to get to be competent at the major league level in those areas and I just don't think that he's going to get enough I think at some point you're just going to have to insert him into the lineup and kind of let him sink sink or swim and just you know take two three years to take your lumps at that at that with him at the ninth hole before he even starts to show something and I just don't know if a major league team is going to have enough patience you know between all 30 teams is someone going to have enough patience to do that or are they just going to slot him perennially as that backup that backup utility guy and that his career just kind of he'll never get a chance to start because the the patience and the um you know the, the the amount of effort that you have to put in to develop them at the major league level. You know it's just not worth it, and I and I weigh that into it. That you know even a last place team, you know bottom of the barrel franchise who who's bottom of the barrel for seasons, they they might not be able even to invest that type of development in him and just he'll just slide in as a, a reserve, reserve and just kind of become a reserve because he's always placed as a reserve. Mm-hmm. How about you, Mike? Does my does Iglesias? get close to that group for you or no? Yeah, I think he does get close to that group personally. Um, but I, I agree with everything um, Mellon just said wholesale, that it's all about some team uh, willing to give him the chance to play at the major league level. Um, and it's got to be more than uh, a three-month leash. It's got to be uh, probably more than just a year leash. It's got to be give the guy two years to to, to catch up to major league pitching Um and slot him in at the, at the in the nine hole, uh, and see if he can be a passable uh, nine hole hitter for you for a couple of years, and maybe maybe he'll eventually hit a uh, develop into a um, a two hole guy. I, I think that um, he he something about just watching him play makes me and uh, the, the competitor that he is and the student of the game that he is. Just my gut says that he is the type of player that might play better at the major league level than uh, at the triple-A level. Just on that stage, he might thrive better than he would um, in McCoy, at McCoy. Um, granted, he's still got the major issues with the approach, and that is the hurdle that's got to be overcome. But um, being on that stage is something that might just push him that extra uh, bit to to. to want him to have him want to take it to that next level and i think that um if some team gives him that chance he might develop into a uh impact everyday player Mm -hmm. i agree and at at the risk of repeating something that i know i've said in other podcasts uh, you know the thing for me i remember when i i interviewed him in lowell this year when he was rehabbing and you know he was he was you know perfectly fine answering the questions nice and everything but you could see in his eyes he did not want to be there and you've got to remember this is a player that since he signed has received extra instruction. He knows what's expected out of him. He knows why he got a million. You know, he he has seen himself as a not as a minor leaguer, but as a future major leaguer since he entered the system. And I mean this in a good way. I don't mean it in a negative. Michael Almanzar, I'm not going to do this stretching because I'm a future major leaguer way. But I mean it in a way that like he knows he needs to get swagger, to the majors. Yeah. Yeah. He has a lot of swagger. That's exactly good it. ma- it's good makeup. He has good it's baseball makeup. Exactly. And I, I've, I've said that for the past year, that I don't think he's going to... I think 
almost in the hand of Ramirez sort of, you know, I'm not going play, comparing the players, but in that mold, I think he's not going to perform to his full potential until he's given a full shot in the majors. Again, like you said, the problem is that he may not necessarily be ready for that at the bat yet. So how are the, how are the gears turning in his head when he hears out of the blue that, that, that they signed Stephen Drew when two weeks prior, Ben Sherrington was uh, preaching to ESPN or whoever would listen that... Um, the job is Iglesias to lose. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly. I think that's why they kept it so quiet, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I heard actually Pedroia talk about that on uh, on WEI, um, and he said he had talked to Iglesias right after uh, they signed him, and he was pretty disappointed. But Iglesias, I mean, Pedroia said that he had given him some advice that uh, you know that he thought he should have been up for in the majors the whole season before he actually was. Pedroia was, so uh-huh. uh, he felt like he had to had to uh, sort of. <laughs> bear that as well so he's he getting too. he's giving iglesias that advice so. having talked to him in Pawtucket that season he did trust me um pedroia yeah, probably thought he should have been in the majors in like 2001 he thought he should have been <laughs> in the majors when he was <laughs> he at was arizona a, state right when he was a freshman <laughs> or a sophomore at, at arizona state he's like i'm ready for the majors now why are we wasting time here yeah <laughs> that's true and that's that's kind of that, that's what separates you know major leaguers from just you know guys who play in triple a or guys who never make it and, and we talked a little bit about it last night you know that that competitiveness and and that you know that desire to be good and and want you know iglesias he, he doesn't want to sit there and play in front of six thousand fans at mccoy stadium he wants to play in front of 40 plus thousand at fenway who are on your on every at bat who are who are breathing heavily and who have their hands they're sitting on their hands in the ninth inning and you know guy the guy guys like that you know there's there's certain guys who really like that and it's funny there you know you would think that everybody's like that but there are people who don't who don't want that who don't want to be up in the ninth inning or they don't want to be pitching the ninth inning because they just that's not they're just not wired like that or, or that's just not or they're afraid or and, and it is and, and sometimes when you watch the players the ones that separate the guys that kind of play in triple a or who end up making the big leagues is that desire to really want to go out there and be the best and perform and, and be the guy that the manager says i want you at the plate you know in this situation go all your teammates are counting on you to deliver and and, and i think we all know you know being you know whether it's your career or whatever you've done so you know some people like that and some people don't some people just want to kind of be that secondary role and and it's not it's not any different with athletes you know it's life they're they're not robots they're humans i I just think he likes sweet caroline personally (laughs) um all right well then last last thing on this topic and we'll only touch on this for maybe five minutes if that is once you get past those nine it just seems to be a free-for-all right now um you see Devin Marrero, Brian Johnson, Drake Britton, Brandon Workman. Um, all these guys are on some lists, whether ours or others, as being the 10th guy in the system, um, if you're not counting Ruby De La Rosa. Um, just real quick, who's next for you guys and, and why? Um, let's start with Matt. Matt, you've got Devin Marrero next. Yeah, I went with Devin Marrero. I wasn't, you know, too too convinced about it. I was kind of between him and uh, Brian Johnson, the two shiny new toys, I guess. Um, he, I, you know, I went with him. He's the he was the first pick last year. Obviously, sp- uh, gonna, could develop into a, a great defensive shortstop, uh, decent bat. I, I'm not sure how convinced I am of him yet, but. Um, you know, going into next season, I'm I'm pretty uh, intrigued to see what what he can do. Mm-hmm. How about you, Melon? You've got you're a big Brian Johnson proponent. 
Yeah, you know, between Johnson, Marrero, Britton, and Workman, let's say, if that was the guys I'd, I'd be considering next. Um, I just think uh, with Johnson, he profiles as a starter. You know, he's a guy that, you know, whether, I mean, you know, you talk about ceiling and, you know, the ceiling's, you know, probably, I don't think his ceiling's a mid-rotational starter. I think he's more like a, a fourth or fifth starter at the major league level, but that's high, I think that's highly valuable. And, and I think that sometimes people get upset at those those type of picks, but he's a guy who can get to the big leagues pretty quickly and he can profile as a starter. And if you look at, you know, Drake Britton, it's more of a, a reliever. Brandon Workman's a reliever. And Marrero, for me, I was just, not really convinced yet, or I haven't seen from him that, you know, offensively, you know, he could end, you know, he's not as good a defender as Iglesias. He's not in that class of defense. He does play good defense. I'd say his gloves, you know, about uh, close to above average, but, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to hit to support that, that, that role at shortstop. And that's really where he's going to end up having to play a shortstop. Mm-hmm. And just real quick, because I want to give you a chance to, to answer this on the podcast. Um, the BP, scouting report said that he had a strong face can you explain real quick what strong face means so people don't think you're making a uh reference to the fact yeah, that he took no, a drive to the sh- to the schnoz that's saying you know he's a competitor you know his demeanor he, he has a consistent he has a consistent demeanor out there on the mound that he doesn't get rattled that he's a, that he's a competitor that he goes out and he pitches he's not easily rattled if he gets into trouble and um he goes out there and he just has that that attitude to go out and that he's not easy you know he's unfla- unflappable I, I suppose I, I told you guys i read through these and edited and worked on these reports probably three or four times along with Jason Parks and um I never even put that link together because I was just looking at it from a pure you know pure scouting point of view you know other players you know that have strong faces you know Derek Jeter is a guy that always scouts always say great face on Derek Jeter you know just a guy who's unflappable in in terms of pressure and all situations just kind of comes and rises to the occasion so it was more talking about his competitiveness that he's shown as an amateur and that um you know how he approaches the game of baseball Mm-hmm. All right, and then Mike, you've got Drake Britton at ten. Sure. Um, so, just so everybody has an idea of how I make my rankings, um, I set them myself, and then I ov- obviously always take input from Melon Hatfield, Ego Mioli, the guys uh, that are going to games more than I am, uh, and and um, to the scouts that we talk to, to the front office guys we talk to, to the players we got. So mine is kind of an amalgamation of all that um, with a little slant on my opinion. And actually, um, in this place, if it was solely my opinion, um, I would probably go Workman and then maybe a Wilson. Um, I I see Workman as a guy, and, and, and granted, um, I'm going on taking Mellon's opinion above mine, and which is why Britain and the likes are above him. Um, but in my opinion, uh, in the limited times I've seen him, I think the Workman could be a five um, for a couple years, like like Dubron had this past season, uh, a, a passable five that can, can get you through a few years. And um, I, I value that highly. I haven't seen that in Brian Johnson yet uh, because I haven't had the opportunity to see him play uh, except in college. Um, and um, the same thing for uh, Wilson. I just see him having of having a high floor. I think that um, he could he he could pitch in the majors this year. Um, it would probably be as a six uh, six inning guy, uh, but he's he's on that cusp of a six inning seventh inning guy um, without uh, a ton of risk there, uh, where he has that high floor. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, excellent. I'm glad you hit on both of those guys. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I guess then we're, we're we're I would love to say we're running long, but that would be an understatement. Um, <laughs> we're we're at an hour on this second part of the call, so I think we're at about a buck twenty five, a buck thirty at this point. So um, we'll go real quick with the lightning round. Um, I'm going to straight up interrupt you guys and cut you off after a minute and a half. So um, make your make your points brief. Um, let's start. So this is again looking back at 2012. Um, so this could be a guy we've talked about. Um, but again, what about the year? I guess Imp- who's 2012 impressed you the most? Um, so again, it's it's looking back at this year. What about what a guy did this year impressed you? Not necessarily, you know, why is Xander Bogarts the best player in the system? Although Xander Bogarts could be your answer. Um, I will uh, I will start with Mellon on this one. Well, I, I think I mean Bogart's 2012 impressed me the most out of out of any player in the system. I just think for what he's for what he's accomplished at a young age, and and just how again as I talk with Swire, how he handles the game of baseball. And and it's funny I was having a conversation with someone in P- Portland, you know, shortly after his call up, and 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 I said, you know, it's almost like he's so young and. And he doesn't. He's so young that he doesn't really understand the significance of what's going on, and it's not affecting him. Like he's not thinking about his prospect status. He's not out there worrying about the worrying about anything. He's just going out and playing, it, and it's pure. And you know, he's not. And, and and when I look at a guy like that, that that to me says that he, you know, he could go out there in Boston and and tune out the media and tune out the fans and tune out all the crap that goes on. With playing baseball in a first division city and and, it, and it, with a passionate fan group and and the attention and, and all that stuff, not being able to go out to eat because you have fifty people waiting by your table wanting an autograph if you're David Ortiz, whereas if you play in Kansas City, you can go out and do whatever you want, no one bothers you. Um, you know that aspect of it just kind of really impressed me about how, the maturity level of how he handles it, and obviously he hears and he knows. And I mean, when he, you hit a 430 foot home run, you know, and you see it, he knows what he can do. And and he, but it doesn't change him; he's unchanged, and he just kind of goes out there and continues to do what he's got to do to be a big leaguer. And I think he's going to thrive in it. All right, right up against your time. I like it. Um, Eagle, <laughs> who do you got? Uh, I went with Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, Coming into the season, really didn't know what we were going to get out of him. Uh, he, he, you know, he had limited time uh, the season before, but but very limited. And he was coming off an injury with uh, South Carolina, uh, at, where he didn't have a very good uh, junior season, I guess it was. And uh, you know, all, the other thing is his tools. You know, they just don't really stand out. And I personally hadn't seen him play before. So the fact that he just went on such a tear was was sort of surprising to to start the year, especially since you know a lot of people had him ticketed to Greenville at the very beginning of spring training. I mean, I think it became obvious throughout spring training, or or maybe when you guys went down and saw him that uh, that he was going to be ticketed to Salem, and you know he even held his own in Portland for the second half of the season. So I mean, especially the way he's moved through the system so quickly and continued to put up numbers that that were just unexpected for me. I mean, I knew he was a, a top defensive guy um, and had great intangibles, but uh, the numbers are really impressive too. Michael, sure. Uh, my pick was also Jackie Bradley, and that uh, went back to spring training when we were there um, for an extended time uh, this past spring. Uh, and I remember just sitting in the stands um, and just 
being in awe of his defense, just being like, wow, this guy is way more advanced defensively than I expected. And then I would um, go over to another field, and um, Ian Cundell would come over to me, our, our other scout, and he would say, did you see Jackie Bradley's defense? Like, this guy's a plus defender already. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. And then um, Mellon would comment to me later, I, I wasn't aware that Jackie Bradley's defense was that great. So, like, all like four or five of us down there are thinking the same thing without having even talked about it um, at, at, before we had seen him. Um, so the defense there and then coming into the season, how he just had a, this consistent season um, throughout the whole year without many major slumps um, and um, showed uh, a, a more advanced approach and, and better plate discipline than, than we'd expected. Um, and um, just uh, all around um, a great consistent season all around. All right. And I guess just to maybe, maybe mention some other guys, one guy that, for all the crap I give him on the podcast uh, and otherwise, um, I mean, Michael Almanzar had a good year. Um, you know, he hit 300, 353, 458, kind of basically coming out of nowhere after having a couple of two or three back-to-back really bad years in the way that we haven't really seen a guy do in the system um, that, that I can remember since we kind of started this thing. Um, or I should say since Mike started this thing. But... You know, I, I, I don't know, it just, to me, that, that sort of emergence we haven't seen out of a guy that had been there a while, and it, I don't necessarily think it means anything, but looking at the question just as simply being who's 2012 impressed you the most, I think he's got to be up there. Um, some other guys maybe, you know, that might be coming in behind there, Travis Shaw had a good year, kind of a lot better than we thought he might have, Mauro Gomez um, winning the International League MVP as a minor league free agent, um, some other impressive seasons. Um, next question, and I'll hold you guys to a minute for this one. Who, in your mind, is an overrated prospect in the system after 2012? Um, let's go in reverse order. So, Chris. Or, no, sorry, Mike. Sure. Um, I'm going to go with, um, and this might be being a contrarian here, I'm going to go with Brian Johnson, and as I admitted Earlier, I had hmm. I did not get a chance to see him in Lowell, but I saw him pitch um, several times in college and came away thoroughly unimpressed. Uh, and granted, uh, he his use was uh, odd there. They would pitch him as a I mean, I, not all that odd, but it's not the same as uh, on the professional level where um, they'd pitch him, uh, they'd start him on a um, Friday. Uh, and then he'd be the closer on the Sunday. So each time I saw him, he was in the in the relief role on that Sunday, and um, his velocity was just down. His his uh, stuff wasn't all that clean, um, and he looked like he got rattled kind of easily. I just I didn't like the pl- the picture I saw, um, and that might just be a matter of sample size. Um, but when I saw him, I did not see a, a first round pick. Um, so I'm going to say that from what I've seen, I'm not high on him, but I'm going to trust what Mellon and Kundal and the rest of you guys have seen, and that's why his ranking is where it is um, over my own opinion. But from what I've seen, I just, I'm just i not personally high on him. All right, uh, Matt? Uh, I'm going to go with Chris Hernandez. 
Um, obviously, he had a, a great or a pretty good year last year between Double uh, A and Triple A. Um, you know, he's a lefty, uh, sort of a soft tosser. He doesn't really. I saw him several times with Tuckett last year. He doesn't really hit above eighty-seven, eighty-eight very often. Throws a lot of two seamers, cutters, sinkers, that type of stuff uh, to keep the hitters off balance. He had great. Uh, ERA numbers, his, his peripherals weren't anything outstanding, uh, walk, strikeouts weren't huge, walks weren't super low or anything. Um, you know, he he's obviously knows how to pitch, but uh, I think he's ultimately ticketed for the bullpen, and some people sort of think he might be uh, the next, next starter for the Red Sox or something, and I think that's a little, uh, a little too lofty for him. Mm-hmm. Fair. Uh, Chris, how about you? I think Giacchini gets overrated based on his statistical 2012. Um, you know, I think that, you know, he kind of gets overrated, you know, being lumped maybe that he's close to a top 100 prospect in baseball or, or things like that. You know, I, I see, well, he's, Giacchini's already, you know, he's, an, he's a high on base player. And, I, and I, again, I don't know, you know, I granted he, he put up a, a 394 on base percentage in Greenville. And just being around that league and and seeing the low minors and everything like that I, you know for some reason when i watch that south atlantic league, league the pitching in that league's pretty weak i think that some of the more guys the guys coming up from the short season who have been around a little bit um they they tend to be able to settle in pretty quickly and hit a lot of mistakes and and when i watch Achini, he's got a lot more flaws than i think people expect and you know in the reports i've tried to highlight those and and try to make that a point but uh I think that he'll get he gets a little bit overrated and, and and think that he's the next, you know that he's this short bet coming up or he's a potential blue chipper which he may be but I I think that you know he, he's just getting overrated based on the fact that he hit 300 and got on base almost at 40 percent. The 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 two things that worry me with Caccini and I actually do like him, but a is the fact that I think people overrate the speed because he led the system in yep. stolen bases. Everybody runs in the South Atlantic League. Like, right. Literally, the Red Sox basically have anybody that can ste- like maybe steal a base steal when they're in Greenville. Um, I mean, we saw Brandon Jacobs steal a bunch of bags in Greenville, um, and that that dropped off when he got up to Salem. Um, I think there's that, and to me, I guess I'm little I'm a little snake bit from Lars Anderson, where yes, power is the last thing to come, but you can't just assume it's going to come, um, and maybe just as a corner infielder you need some power out of him and where he has improved defensively and he did have a great year and I do like him. I just, I'm unsure he's going to hit for enough power to uh, justify playing him at third base. Um, All right. And I guess we'll go with the last one here. Who is underrated after 2012 in the system? I'll start with you, Chris. Well, I wasn't prepared for that one. Who's I can take it. I can take it. Let's go with Andrew. I'll bail him out. Um, Bail me out. My take is, uh, my pick is Anthony Renato. Um, I got a lot of people tweeting me after the final season ranking comes out. Oh, why is he uh, 15? Why is he 16? Why is he 17? He had this terrible season. Uh, to me, he should be in the 40s. Um, he had a down year. Um, pitchers have down years. It's a roller coaster ride. Uh, there was lots of injuries. Um, there were mechanical issues. Uh, and there were probably some head issues, uh, but he came back from before, and I still think that there's a chance he could come back from it again. Um, I'm not down and out on him. Um, 
I just I think that there's a, a still some opportunity for him to develop into a a, a number three, number four starter. Um, it's not uh, a high probability, but um, he is still a guy that has uh, starters' tools. So uh, I'm, I I think that for uh, fans tweeting at me saying that he should be in the 30s or 40s, I think that that underrates him. How about you, Matt? Uh, I'm going to go with Sean Coyle, actually. Um, I know, I mean, he had a really rough start to the first half of the season, and I know he struck out a ton, and, and Melanson, uh, in the first half at least, and, and I don't think really liked what he saw compared to what he had seen the year before. I just I think that transition was a lot harder than people expected, and obviously... You know, it took a lot longer than than you would hope, and that's maybe not a good sign for his overall prospect status. But I think the thing that did get lost in the shuffle is that he did have a pretty good second half of the season. After the All Star break, he batted two ninety seven, three fifty five, four fifty one. I mean, so those are those are really solid numbers. Obviously, his strikeouts are, are uh, numbers are pretty high, but. Uh, you know, there's still some potential there, and I think he, him and Chikini were always kind of linked, and now he's way down on, on the list, and Chikini's pretty high, so I think Coyle can make up some ground this year. Mm-hmm. That's fair. How about you, uh, Chris? I'll go with Brandon Jacobs. You know, I don't th- I don't think he's a top 10 prospect, you know, but I think he had a his a lot of his season, and not all of it, and, I, and I've mentioned this before, that it's not all of his season is related to it, but he, he was dealing with a hand injury for a lot of the year, and as people know, hands are the most important part of hitting besides your eyes. So um, that's obviously dragged him down a little bit, and I think, you know, he put up some bad stats based on, you know, having a bad hand, and I think he came back from his hand injury in May or June, and, and it was known, at least on the inside, that he wasn't going to be, 100% for the rest of the season, and he was going to have to deal with it through the offseason. And when I saw him, you know, I know it was noticeable. I knew that information going into seeing him, and I, it was noticeable that his bat speed wasn't there, and uh, he was struggling. And I think if you saw him without knowing that, you know, in the scouting community, people who were scouting him kind of wondering, oh, you know, you know, the skills aren't really there. He's a, he's a fringy guy with some of the feedback that I got. And, you know, I had to say, you know, and I would say, you know, he's injured. You know, you got you to gotta take that into consideration. So I think he's a guy that, you know, bounced back health-wise this season and kind of reestablished some of that status. All right. Uh, that's, those are all good. So I'm surprised you didn't go with Margo. I, I swore you would have gone with Miguel Margo. Manuel well, Margo. Think, well, he's not under. I mean, I've been helping. Okay. You've been over, pumping him. I've been helping. Yeah, I've been help pumping him. So. You have been pumping him. That's true. All right. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go real quick with, with mine. I, I, I think you may have swayed me with the uh, Jacobs talk, admittedly, but um, I'm just some of the guys lower in the system who might be a bit underrated. Um, I think people might have forgotten a little bit about Cody Cook or Kukuk. Have we figured yeah, out how to pronounce his name? No, I, I, it's Kukuk. I was going to say he was my second choice, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, the fact that he, you know, he did have a, a you know a legal situation he had to deal with that kept him from. I, I think he was a sure ticket to Lowell minimum, um, if not Greenville, if not for the the trouble he got into. But um, you know, the fact that he threw ten innings in the Gulf Coast League and you know had sixteen strikeouts and three walks, um, he looked pretty dominant. I think he goes to Greenville this year um, with the chance to rise quickly. Uh, I think there's great stuff there, uh, but you know, again, the, the, he's got to answer those off-field questions as some guys have before him and some guys haven't. Uh, so there's an issue there that he has to 
get squared away. And if he can, I, I think there's real potential for him to rise really quickly. We have him at number 29 right now on the website. And I, I could see him at least get into the top 20 uh, very quickly if he can go to full season ball and succeed. Um, but yeah, I think that will finally, uh, perhaps mercifully, wrap up uh, this this year-end edition of the podcast. Um, I foresee us doing one more wrap-up-ish type podcast, um, maybe in late January, and then we'll preview the season maybe in, in late February, um, and perhaps early March, um, with another podcast. But uh, I'd like to thank my uh the, the my i guess get are you guys my guests i don't i don't, I don't know how this works yeah, where you guess you're the host all right yeah thanks thanks to the we're panelists. here to serve you yeah hey it's that's my life in general <laughs> um but yeah so thanks to everybody for coming on um we'll give a shout out to john mioli for attempting to come on um he tried he he went out and bought a headset specifically to try and come on and it didn't work but um, we'll get him old, on next had- time he had too many old fashions last night. He did. He did. He he had to stop and get some bananas, Foster. But uh, <laughs> yeah. So thanks to these guys, and we'll uh, thanks to all of you for hanging with us for our four month absence. Uh, don't foresee that happening again. Thank goodness. But um, we'll be back soonish. All right. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>